Today's shear begins in the middle of the omelet, a little bit less than halfway down if you like to count lines, 21 lines from the top. You'll notice immediately a diamond uh, shape on the side of the Gemara. You'll notice under our Mivne, our structural note, the diamond is featured, and we've written two questions that the Gemara raises regarding the first act of intimacy. This issue of the first act of intimacy is something that we've alluded to in our previous shiurim, and the Gemara will dwell on that. Under the topic heading, the Nosei, Besulo Niseis Birvi. Our Mishnah, at the beginning of the Perak, the beginning of the Mesichta, declared that the virgin girl will, uh, she is to get married, to consummate the marriage on a Wednesday. We're, of course, speaking about the second stage, the completion of the marriage, the stages of marriage, which began with the Kiddushin, that in the time of the Mishnah and the Gemara, usually took place several months before the consummation. So we're talking about the Nisuin, and the Nisuin is to take place, according to the Mishnah, on Ravi. Ravi means Wednesday. And we must emphasize, as we go through the Gemara, one sh- everyone should be aware that... Jewish calendar dates and times are established by the onset of night. By Erev, by Boker, the Apostle says, the Om Rishon. So that the, a day is established from the, begins with the night, and it ends with the setting of the sun the following day. So when we speak about uh, a uh, marriage on Wednesday, take into consideration that that <clears throat> very well can include Tuesday night, which is, essentially is the beginning of Wednesday. So, the, uh, our topic uh, heading continues, the basula that is, that Niseis Bravi, Mosahi Nivelis. Nisuin is the uh, ritual of walking under a canopy, the bride and groom stand there under a canopy and then following that the couple engage in intimacy when does the intimacy take place do we say that they will cohabit on Wednesday now Ravi would mean for our purposes in all likelihood Tuesday night in other words they enter the marriage canopy Tuesday night and at that point they cohabit and the, uh, if, if that's the case, and we do not worry about the groom cooling off. Of course, if you've learned the previous Dapim together with us, you will have noted that the establishment of Wednesday marriage is so that the next day on Thursday when the court sits in session, if he, the husband, has any qualms, any gripes, any any. Uh, claims against his his bride that she is not a besula, he will go to the court. What we are interested in is having the intimacy in proximity, time-wise, of the court session. If we say that the intimacy is on Ravii, following the Nisuin, which is on Ravii, and we're assuming in our discussion that we're talking about uh, that time period defined by uh, uh, the Wednesday of the week, 
if that's the case, there is a, a number of hours, a good few hours between that intimacy, if it were to take place on Ravi, uh, and the court sitting in session during the daytime hours of Hamishi, of Thursday. Since there is this uh, gap in time of, of, a, of a number of hours between the intimacy which would have taken place sometime during Wednesday and the court session on Thursday, apparently we're not worried that he might cool off upon his discovery that she is not really a virgin as he thought. The other possibility is that the chuppah takes place on Wednesday, and b'chamishi, the bia rishona, the first act of intimacy is on Thursday. Thursday would mean what we call, what we term Wednesday night, uh, any time between the, the onset of Thursday, beginning at the sundown of Wednesday, Wednesday night, till Thursday morning, that is when the Bia Rishon would take place. And if that's the case, that would indicate to us that we are concerned, the Chayshin on the Daita, we're concerned that otherwise he may cool off. And we don't want him to cool off. If he finds her to be a non-virgin, this uh, raises the specter of her having had intimacy with another man after she already was wedded to this man through their, through their Kiddushin. And if that be the case, she would be forbidden to continue living with her husband. A married woman that cohabits willingly with another man is forbidden to her husband. So our question here is, are we, are we going to uh, allow or uh, uh, prescribe the first Biyah as being able to take place on Wednesday, or no, we want it to take place specifically on Thursday, so as to minimize the gap in time between his intimacy with her and possible discovery of her non-virgin status, and the time that the court sits in session, namely Thursday morning. Now, the Gemara. That, of course, is what the Mishnah said, that the Nisuin, the marriage uh, canopy ceremony, is on Wednesday. And the actual act of intimacy, the first act of intimacy, also is on Ravi on Wednesday. We don't worry that he may cool off and uh, forgive her and not show up at Beisdin. Uh, upon his uh, discovery of her not being a besula, or possibly besula nises buravi v'nivelis bechamishi, or that the nisuin standing under the marriage canopy is on Wednesday, but the first bia must be after sundown uh, at the conclusion of Wednesday, namely into Thursday, so that we close the gap between the bia rishona and the court session the following morning the chayshin on the daita because we are concerned that otherwise he may cool off and not uh, press charges so that if the discovery of her being a basula is very close to the time that the court will actually sit in session so he'll be uh, irate and he'll go to court without his 
cooling off. And I know that sometimes we may sound repetitious, but for many, this is, these are very new ideas. We repeat, there it would be a potential problem if she is discovered to be a non-Basula, raising the possibility that she lived with, an, that she cohabited with another man after she had been miskadeshes, after she had been wedded to this fellow, to her husband, making her forbidden to continue living with her husband. We don't want a couple to continue living in sin. So therefore, our concern with his possible cooling off, which would lead to them continuing to live in sin, if in fact that had happened, that she had cohabited with another man, resulting in, of course, her, his discovery that she is not a basula. Toshma. So now we have to figure out which one of these uh, two possibilities is the way to go. The triangle that you see is featured on the side under the Mivne heading, Hadgoshas Bar Kapora. We're highlighting the name Bar Kapora with this triangle. We tell you that you can look at Rashi Dibor Hamaschil Gedolim later on the Omid, the last uh, quarter of the Rashi commentary. You can see that Rashi is structurally sensitive. He uh, and we say that if you look in that Rashi, Kebosis Lesimunza, it serves as a basis for our marking off his name. So now the Gemara. Toshma de Tony Bar Kapora. Bar Kapora teaches the following Tanaic source. Basula Nises Berviv and Nivelis Bechamishi. Notice how we've dashed, underlined Nivelis Bechamishi. The Basula marries uh, or ent- ent- uh, enters the canopy, the Chupa, on Wednesday. And the Bia Rishona, the first intimacy, is on Thursday. Hoyl Venemra Boy Brochaladogim. Since in the a section of the Torah de- dealing with the days of creation, the fish were created and blessed uh, in in um, mass fructification, uh, multipli- multiplicit mul- multiplication on Thursday, uh, fifth day of creation. Almona nises bechamishi v'nevelas b'shishi, a widow, if she uh, wants to remarry, she uh, marries on. Thursday and the Bia with her uh, husband is on Friday. The significance of Friday is that that's the day that man was created and blessed by the Almighty. Now, we, having read this source, we infer as follows The idea of the couple getting married, or the, I should say the Bia Rishona on Thursday is to benefit from the bracha that is characteristic of Thursday. But as far as the concern of the husband cooling off, that is not on our mind. The Gemara asks, If uh, what appears to be a paramount concern is the Thursday uh, blessing factor of the fish. Why not have the almona also have the bia that she uh, consummates her marriage with her husband on Thursday as well? Two answers to that. One, brocha de odoma The brocha of man on Friday is a greater concern. 
vi'inami mishum shaktu. Another reason for the almona uh, and bio rishona on Friday is because of the shaktu consideration, which the Gemara will explain immediately. But before we go on with the uh, with the um, Gemara, let us cl- glance at the Rashi on the uh, in the middle of the Rashi commentary. Taimo mishum brocha. We said that the Basula does Bia on Thursday because of Brocha, one who, for whatever reason, is not uh, insistent on benefiting from that particular blessing, as far as the uh, concern that the husband might cool off and be uh, forgiving, that we are not worried about. Because of, uh, in, in other words, in that small uh, ex- uh, extended span of time, we're confident that he will remain sufficiently perturbed in order to motivate him to go to Basin. The next Rashi, It's true that the blessing granted to man on Friday is greater than the blessing granted to fish, but that should not motivate us to have the basula have bia on the Friday because the bisman oroch hadsheni b'shabbos. When is the next time the court will sit in session on Monday? That's a long period of time. The also dayone that on uh, the, the sheni b'shabbos means Monday. That's when the the, the judges come. There we are concerned with the cooling off. But from that small increase in time that would be the case if the Bia is on Wednesday till Thursday the fear of cooling off is not of concern to us we continue now in the discussion concerning the Almona we give two reasons why the Almona is Nivellus Bishishi I, I, uh, it goes without saying uh, maybe uh, I'm just saying the obvious but uh, the whole concern with the discovery of her non, of, a, of a woman being a non-virgin obviously is not applicable to an Amona an Amona is a widow she was already married to another man so the issue of the Amona and her Bia Rishon on Friday is as we saw in the source in order to benefit from the Brochaliodom on the sixth day of creation on Friday man was created and he was blessed by the Almighty so that's one reason and uh, another reason for the Almona not getting uh, not having the Bia Rishona on Thursday, but rather on Friday, is because of shoktu. Now, the word shoktu literally has to do with the uh, the diligence of the sages and their uh, their attention to a particular matter. We've seen this expression already on Daf Beis and in our previous year as well. Here we go on. What does shoktu apply? Uh, Refer to in this context the Sanya. Why is it set up that way that the Almona has the Chupa on Thursday and the Bia on Friday? If you were to say that she would have the Bia 
on the same day as the Chuppah, namely on Thursday, there is a, a term that you see in Rashi called Chibas Bia, the uh, adoration, the endearment that is achieved by that initial act of intimacy between this couple. Here we're dealing with a widow and her new husband. That's Chibas Bia. We can say that a, a person will take off from work f- uh, for that day, the day that he experiences the Bia Rishona. Now with that background in mind, we continue with the source. The source is telling us that if you would have the Bia on the same day as the Chuppah, namely on Thursday, Lamachar, the next day on Friday, Mashkin Lumanoso, he's going to get up in the morning and go right out to his to his profession, to his job, to his craft, his umanus. He's going to go out to work. The uh, concept or the practice of a festivity of festivity with a with a uh, a widow and her marriage, uh, if, uh, her marriage to a widower is a one-day event. So, um, as Rashi says, if we look together at the Rashi, a little more than, uh, about a third of the way up from the bottom, The Mishta, the festive meal, uh, celebrating the marriage of a widower, with a widow is a one-day event. So that if the chuppah with the bia would be on Thursday so Thursday would be dedicated to the day of festivity one day the next day Friday he goes out to work so uh, we read in the Gemara again lamohor mashkin lunoso v'holech lo next day on Friday if the bia had been on Thursday the next day he's going to get up in the morning and go out to work and uh, leave his new wife uh, alone therefore the rabbis in their great sensitivity applied themselves they applied themselves to this matter for the benefit of the women folk of Israel wouldn't it in the, in the eyes of the Chachomim they're saying wouldn't it be nicer for him to rejoice with her for three Days, three continuous days. Chamishi b'Shabbos, ver of Shabbos b'Shabbos. The uh, Thursday, Chamishi b'Shabbos. That's because that's the day of the Chuppah. So the day of the Chuppah, he will be with her. The Biyah Chibas Biyah. That's on erev Shabbos. That's Shishi. That will be day two, second day consecutively, and Shabbos. After Friday comes Shabbos, and obviously he doesn't go to work. So he has, we've accomplished our goal, the rabbinic sensitivity to the welfare of the Jewish woman. We want her to be happy and, um, and content with her new husband. So we afford her with his presence three consecutive days. And that's achieved by making sure, by insisting that the Bia Rishona is on Friday and not on Thursday. My Iko Bain Brachalishoktu. Now we've given two reasons, and both of them are sanctioned by Tanaic sources for Bia Rishona 
on Friday in the case of the Almona. What uh, the two reasons being the bracha, the bracha of man and shaktu, this idea of having the three consecutive days of their being together. What practical or what case could we show in which we would see a difference between these two reasons? A point of difference would be Adam Botel. A person that doesn't have any work to go to. A, a person who is Botel, who is unemployed. An unemployed individual. Well, if he's unemployed, then we don't have to insist on his having the Bia Rishona specifically on Friday. He can have it on Thursday. The next morning, Friday, he's not going to get up and go out to work. He'll be with her anyway. However, if the, uh, if the concern is the bracha, the bracha is only on Friday. So, we would, in, in, if we're, for an Adam Batel, if our concern is bracha, we would nevertheless insist on his Bia Rishona with her to be on Friday. If the concern was Shaktu, we could, uh, we could allow the Adam Batel to have his Bia Rishona on Thursday. Inami, another case where the difference is apparent. Yontov Shechalios Be'er of Shabbos where a holiday begins on a Friday. If a holiday begins on a Friday, so if our concern is shokdu, so we can say that the Bio Rishona in such a case can be on Thursday. The next day, Friday, he's not, he's not running off to work anyway, so he's going to be with her anyway. However, if our concern is the benefit from the Broch of Adam, even though uh, the, the Friday is a day he's going to be home anyway, we would want to have there be a Rishona on Friday, not on Thursday, so that he could benefit, so that that couple can benefit from the Brocha Liodom, which is Friday-related. As you can see, there's a bracketed section, and notice the length of it by using your bracket length indicator. This takes us all the way down, only days till the next diamond, a little less than halfway down on the base. That having been said, let us glance at the note on the side. Toch sobrayim elu, muvoyim divrei agoda. Within this bracketed section, there is agad, there is an agadic passage. After the bracketed section, the Gemara goes back and resumes the questions regarding biyah rishona, the first act of intimacy. So, being that the structure hopefully is clear, we uh, focus now on the Gemara text, but before doing so, we glance at the side where we have the no say, the topic heading, in which we've written Droshas Bar Kapora. We'll see Bar Kapora uh, teaching the following Greater are the workings of the righteous than the workings of heaven and earth. Now, uh, uh, structurally, you'll notice there is a, a uh, trapezoid or volcano shape. And under the Mivneh heading, we've indicated this is a ma'akav. The use of this is in order to keep track of a back-and-forth structure of Gomorrah. The narrow part facing up represents Divrei Bar Kapora, the Siwalo. It's Bar Kapora's teaching and points that will support him. The inverted volcano shape represents Kushos, who represents challenges. So we'll have a back and forth type discussion. Now the Gemara. 
Dorosh Bar Kapora. Bar Kapora teaches, Gedoylim Maise Tzadikim Yosemi Maise Shemayim Voretz. Greater are the workings of, of the righteous than the workings of heaven and earth. Regarding uh, the uh, creation of heaven and earth, the Post says, Now we've dashed underline the word Yodi. This is a word uh, meaning my, uh, my arm uh, uh, established, it says in the Post, my arm established the world. It, the word Yodi appears in the singular. <laughs> The ilu b'maisa yodem shel tzadikim siv regarding the workings of the righteous. It says, "Machoyim lishiftecha pato Hashem mikdash Hashem koinenu yodecha." The mikdash Hashem, Rashi points out, is maisi yodei tzadikimu. The the uh, temple of all the Almighty is a function of the the workings of the righteous. So in describing that, it says. Yodecha, the word Yodayim in plural. Heishiv Bavli Echad, Rabkhiya was from Bovel, responds to uh, Bar Kaporov and says, Vayabeshes Yodov Yotzoru. In the creation of the world, creation of the dry land, the word, which is something that the Almighty created, you see the word Yodov in the plural form. So that you can't say that the uh, Maisit Sadiqim is greater because of the plural uh, form of Yad where you see in the case of Shemayim's workings also the plural form. So Bar will answer Yodov Ksiv. It's true that we would read the word Yodov but in the uh, traditional text, it's written without the second Yud, so that the writing appears to be in the singular Yodo. But does it not say in that very same Pesach, Yotzaru? Yotzaru is a means formed, and that's in the plural form. Omarav Nachman Bar Yitzchok, so Rav Nachman answers Yotzaru Etzba'oisov. The plural form is not going on the, on the arm, it's going on the fingers that are attached to the hand. So, etzbaosov, the fingers are in, are referred to by this plural form. As the Postic says, Ki era shomecha ma'asecha So that the fingers of the Almighty, so to speak, are also a participant in the creation process, as this Postic indicates. So the pluralness in Yotzaru is a reference to the fingers. But as far as uh, the workings of the Yad, of the hand, with regard to the Maiset Sadikim, you see their uh, workings, their accomplishments in the plural form, as opposed to Shemaim Voretz in the singular form. Meisvei, HaShemaim Misaprim Kavoyed Keel, Umaise Yodov Magidor the Pesach indicates that the heavens tell forth the honor of the Almighty and the firmament uh, reveals the workings of His hands, of the Almighty's hands. And here you see again the reference to hands in the plural form. 
and it would seem to be the workings of the Almighty in creating the firmament. The Gemara responds that Yodov in this Pesach is not a reference to the workings of Hashem. Hochi Ka'omar the workings, the accomplishments of the tzaddikim, who reveals that horokia, the firmament, umayniu, and through what means does the firmament reveal the workings of the tzaddikim? Motar, through rainfall. When rain comes, and rain, of course, is uh, beneficiary, is beneficial to the world. It comes as a result of the workings of the pious. Dorash Bar Kapora. Again, another drosh of his, and hence you can see the triangle. My diktiv lecho al azeinecha. The posik has uh, has a let's see, literal value, where it, it refers to a uh, a shovel uh, implement that's uh, attached. To arms uh, for the uh, for the soldiers in battle to be able to dig for we'll say for um, uh, purposes of personal uh, hygiene and and uh, um, when uh, fac- when facilities are needed in the in the open areas during battle so they can dig a hole. For uh, uh, for covering their their waste, that's as far as the simple meaning of the pasuk. However, Bar Kapara's drasha is Al Tikri Azenecha. Don't read the pasuk as the Torah, as you know, doesn't have vowels in it. So there's there's a, a room for multiple readings of of different words. In this case, don't read it as Azenecha, referring to arms. Uh, weapons, Elo al oznecha, ears, one's ears, and the yose zenecha. Yose is a is a peg, and in this case the the peg you'll see very shortly in the Gemara is a reference to one's fingers. Al al the Gemara continues. Sheim yishma adam davar sheinuhalgen. If a person hears unfavorable speech. The Gemara continues at the top of Omid Beis. Yaniach et spoi bi oznov. He has the opportunity to put his finger in his ears. So that uh, the Pusik is telling us, is referring to um, me- uh, uh, measures a person can take to protect himself from hearing uh, improper speech. Lashon uh, Hora, foul language, uh, etc. And it's based on this that we have Rebelozer's teaching. Uh, there's a bracketed section that we uh, have here, which, uh, following which, we have the, we'll say, the final version or the accurate version of what Rebelozer says. Within this bracketed section, the Gemara debates as to what is Rebelozer trying to say. So, first we'll skip the, these uh, three, uh, these four lines of Gemara. What does Rebelozer teach that uh, complements Bar Kapora? Matam Mishupos Kiesedos. 
why is it that uh, the fingers of a person are shaped like uh, pegs, like stakes? Uh, a stake or a peg will have a, uh, a, a tapers to a point, a narrow point, and widens further up. So too, a person's fingers are shaped like that. So he asks, why do fingers have a shape that is similar to a yose, to a to a stake or a peg? If a person feels he's going to hear something that's not proper, he can put his fingers into the into his ears. Now let's go over the bracketed section where Rebbe Lozer says, we're on the second line from the top, Why is it that a person's fingers are similar to pegs? So the Gemara asks, My taima? Meaning, in this here, you have to, you can't translate the Gemara. Uh, Rashi is very careful to explain with a klomar word, which whenever you see klomar in Rashi, you are put on notice that we're not translating the Gemara text, but the which we have to explain it. So the Gemara's question here is: My time is in what respect do you mean that the person's fingers are like pegs? If Rebbe Lazar is asking why are a person's fingers, mechalka means separate, separated from one another. Imagine uh, of the, uh, in, in, amongst other creatures you have, let's say, a uh, webbed-footed creatures where the fingers are not separated. Even paws of many animals have just little toes, but basically the, it's one, or, or the hoofs of creatures the um, the feet of of many animals, a camel, a donkey, doesn't have fingers, separate fingers, but human beings have separate fingers. So the, this idea of separateness is what the Gemara means when it says mechalkan. So if Rebbe Lozer is asking, why is it that a person's fingers are mechalkan, are separate uh, digits? That's not a question. That's well known. Call Each finger has a halachic role to fulfill. Diomamar, as it has been taught elsewhere, zu zeres, zu kemitza, zu ama, zu etzba, zu gudal. Each finger has a name and as such has a separate function. The, what we call the, the small finger, the pinky, the zeres, that is used in measuring the breastplate of the Kohen Godal. Zukamitsa, the fourth finger, that finger is, uh, is the last finger closed upon one's hand when forming a handful for meal offering purposes. Uh, the, we won't elaborate more on that, other than just saying that it's used in the in the uh, filling of one's hand for meal offering purposes. Zu amo, the middle finger, is a finger that figures in the measuring of an amo when 
you have to measure that particular dimension. And zu etzba, the uh, second finger, the the pointer finger, that's used for blood applications on the mizbeach. And zu gudal, the thumb, that is used, or uh, that that figures in uh, blood in in applications that are relevant to a mitzora. So as far as uh, why uh, does man have fingers that are separate from one another, we just explained each finger has a particular role to play somewhere in halacha. So Rebbe wouldn't be asking about that. That's not the aspect of fingers that Rebbe is asking about. Rather, Rebbe is asking about the shape of fingers. Why is it that they taper to a point? If a person is suspect, is, is uh, suspicious that he may hear something that's improper, this gives him the shape of the finger, enables him to put his finger in his ear to prevent him from hearing that which is undesirable. From the Yeshiva of Rabbi Shmuel, we have the following Tanaic teaching. Why is it that a person's ear is mostly cartilage? Uh, Kosha means it's hard, hard material, and the alya, the ear lobe, is raka, is soft. It's, it's uh, doesn't have cartilage in it. If a person feels he may be hearing something unfit. Here we have another defense mechanism. He can fold his earlobe into his ear by virtue of it being soft. It, uh, I want to share with you just a personal thought on this Gemara. And it has to do with the general realm of Loshan Hora, borrowing uh, from ideas that one sees elsewhere in the Shas. As far as the speaking of Loshan Hora, we know that man has a strong tendency to um, to fail in is re- in restraining himself from from lashon hara, speaking uh, ill of other people, and of course there is much more to say. There are entire volumes dedicated to this particular topic, but it, in general, it has to do with ill speech, and we are taught that it's it's such a um, a, a, a problem for man that God had to create two defenses against it and that is one's, one's teeth, he can clench his teeth and he has lips the tongue being so dangerous it needs to have two fences against it the teeth and the lips so what uh, struck me is that part of the um, the uh, the Esau of Loshan Hara is not only speaking, being proactive, but also the, the passive participant, the listener of Loshan Hara is also guilty. One is not to listen, not, one is not to accept through listening uh, Loshan Hara. And interestingly, we find in this Gemara, just like the mouth has two fences, we provide for the ears. Likewise, two defenses, and they are the fingers and the earlobe. The Gemara continues, A person should not allow himself to uh, hear uh, um, worthless, empty speech. 
The ears are the, the first to pay for a person's sins. Nichveis means has to, has to do with burning, and if we imagine uh, uh, purgatory as a place of, of uh, we'll say, cleansing of sins, so the ears uh, are the first to uh, be burnt or pay for that. The uh, Rashi says, "Nichveis tchilo levorim rakois v'dakois." They're they're soft. The ears are soft and thin. Lichveis mikulam. They're and as a result of that, they will burn uh, more easily than all the rest of one's limbs. Here Rashi is referring to dinim uh, laws regarding bishul akum and a reference is made here to the ear being the part of an animal that it will roast most quickly. Before we continue in the Gemara, we glance at the side where we have a no se clali, a general topic heading. We indicate this goes till daf zayin omen aleph, and we note bia rishona b'shabbos. We're going to deal with the first act of intimacy if it were to take place on Shabbos. Uh, under our Nosei Mivne heading, we have uh, Roman numerals 1 and 2, so if you see on the page, sometimes it's helpful to see ahead of time, just structurally note where these numbers appear. Roman numerals 1 and 2. They represent Shnei Lishoinois, two versions, Babirur Hashe'ela, regarding uh, clarifying the question, uh, is it allowed to um, have the first act of intimacy? We can refer to it as penetration on Shabbos. Again, we're dealing with a girl who has never experienced intimacy. She's called a basula, she's a virgin, and uh, in general, we have to um, imagine her to be rather. Young. We're talking about a girl who is um, a little over 12 years old, a Nara. There's a term that you find in Halacha, she's called a Bogeris. She gets older, Bogeris is an age of 12 and a half and up. And as a girl gets older, so that part of her anatomy will say uh, the opening. In the that theme, in that section of the female, the opening expands, or if you will, the basulum, the membrane or or tissue matter that generally is considered uh, sealing that particular opening, it contracts. It, um, it it contracts, and therefore the a natural opening is formed. So when we concern ourselves with it's most prominent when you're dealing with a girl that is, we'll say, on the younger side. So, uh, is it mutter to do Biyah Rishona on Shabbos? There is this problem of, this, of the first act of penetration results in a blood flow. We have written on the side. Yesh lo'ir, it's important to point out, the b'chol shlav, 
shall shnei halishnois at each stage of these questions of this analysis we have Roman number one and number and Roman number two so it, and it, within each number there are stages so it, at each stage of these two versions Hagemora Tatsiv Siba the Gemara will present reasons either to be restrictive or to be lenient and allow the Bio Rishon on Shabbos and it will do so this is a form of Gemara analysis means and if you decide to say such and such then what will you say under the following conditions Umiyad Achar Kach and immediately afterwards, Tavarer, the Gemara will then clarify, Shulai Adayin Nitan Lomar Hefech. The uh, Gemara will then say, even if you say uh, a particular reason in one direction, there is still room to say the opposite. Lomoshal, example. Here we're citing an example that we'll see in the Gemara. In Timtzalomar, Dam Mifkat Pocket, if you say, that the blood in that part of the female anatomy is mifkad pokid. That's an, a situation where the blood is not absorbed into the tissue matter, but rather it's it's uh, stored separate from the tissue matter. If if you will, you can imagine the a, a uh, just by way of analogy, a person who develops, let's say, a uh, a swelling in which there is pus that is formed. So there is uh, the skin rises and it forms a type of bubble, and within the bubble you have pus. That liquid we could describe as mifkad pokid. It's not absorbed into the skin, it's rather it's covered, surrounded by skin, but the liquid there is separate. That's a, we'll call an extreme form of mifkad pokid. Releasing liquid from that situation of mifkad pocket, releasing that, and in this case we're told we'll speak about blood, releasing it uh, from that situation is reason for leniency. That's not the classic case of chabura on Shabbos. A uh, classic case of chabura on Shabbos is creating a an, a wound from which blood flows out of one's flesh where it had been absorbed in the flesh. If you will, if a person simply makes a simple cut into one's skin, the blood that flows out is it's flowing from a, um, a situation of, absorb, of being absorbed, not mifgat pocket. But the dam besulim that we're referring to, the blood of uh, of the besulim, the of blood of virginity, if you will, the blood of that particular spot in the female anatomy, might be described as mifkad pok. Now, if you say that, and we continue in our note on the side, superficially, that would appear to be a reason for being lenient. To allow the Biel Rishon on Shabbos, on releasing blood from a non-absorbed situation, that should be reason for leniency. However, that's not the end of the story. Do you say 
l'dam hutzorech v'shor, that his interest is simply in releasing the blood. He's not interested in anything else. He wants to uh, say he wants to see the blood flow, which would indicate to him that she is a virgin, uh, and and you're releasing the blood from a non-prohibited situation, and therefore it would be all right. Oi, or maybe he is interested in forming an opening in the girl by removing the basulim, so an opening is formed. And that's what he is interested in accomplishing. And creating an opening in a person is considered like an act of construction, boine. And that would be something prohibited. So that even if you describe the dam as mitgad pochid from the blood aspect of things, we could be lenient. Nevertheless, that doesn't mean your home safe and will allow Bia Rishon Abishabbos because the person's intention in doing that first act of intimacy might be to create a Pesach. And that is something that would be forbidden. So that even though we can show you, we can um, analyze in, we'll say, start a direction of leniency, that that doesn't mean that we're home safe and we'll allow things because there are still further considerations. And that's what we'll be analyzing in the Gemara. There are two versions. So now, that having been said, we turn to the Gemara text, the uh, the diamond that you see a little less than halfway down, Ibayalaho. Mao Livo Bitchilo Bishabis. Can one do Bia Rishona on Shabbos? Now, have we not in fact dealt with this earlier? So take a look at Rashi right across from here. Mao Livo Bitchila. Number one, Lo Shmiyalahu Hachmas Nisa Deliel. The questioner in this Gemara did not hear the Tanaic source that we saw earlier, back on Daf Gimel, which said not to do Biyarishon on Shabbos. Inami, Shmiyalahu. Another possibility is that the questioner in this Gemara did hear of that source. Omibayalahu, when he's still asking, Halacha, when Halacha, does Halacha follow that Tanaic source or not? So, that having been said, we continue in the Gemara. Mahu livol betchilo b'Shabbos. Can the first act of intimacy with a besula take place on Shabbos. Dam mifkat pocket o mechbar. Do we say that the blood is mifkat pocket? Rashi says mifkat pocket kamo pikodon, like an entrusted item. Konus made It's gathered together and standing within the within the uh, body. The nivla It's not absorbed into the walls of the birth canal of the uh, that orifice of the woman if it were nivla if it were absorbed the method of release is called chabura making instilling an injury Rather, if you say mifkat pocket, it's simply that the blood has accumulated in that part of the anatomy, and there's, in your mind, it's as if there's a door blocking it, and when you penetrate, when the man engages in that act of intimacy, he opens the door uh, that's standing in front of the blood, and the blood flows out, not having been truly absorbed in the uh, walls of the birth canal. So do we say that the dam is mifkat pokid, which would be reason for leniency, or it's fully attached and absorbed into the, uh, into the skin of that part of the anatomy? 
If you say that the description of that particular blood is Mifgat Pocket, which, as we said before, that would lead you in the direction of leniency. However, we still have more to analyze. Is his intention simply to release the blood? And that would be okay, because the dam itself is not absorbed. It's mitgat pocket. It's simply accumulated, stored there. Ol Dilma, or possibly le Pesach hutzarach v'osir. Or, do we say that he's interested in forming an opening? And that is forbidden. That is like bonet, and one of the forbidden action activities on Shabbos, known as construction. Bonet. So that even if you say that the blood itself is in the Mifkad Pokid state, it doesn't mean Bio Rishona is going to be allowed on Shabbos because his intention might be for creating an opening. And if you say, well, this person's intention, the man's intention really is to just release the blood and the door, the opening that is, the Pesach, the opening it forms on its own, it develops it just, it's a, a byproduct, but it's not his intention so does that mean it's mutter? not yet, not necessarily, we still have to analyze halacha kerebi shimon domar dover shein meskavin mutter oi halacha kerebi yudha domar dover shein meskavin oser, we still have to analyze now, we mentioned that the door is formed memela. It's formed without his specific intention. Memela means on its own. <coughs> but a door is formed. Does the halacha follow Rabbi Shimon, who says that Dover Shein Miskavin is something that's not intended? It's not, the, uh, it's not that which you are focused on. And things like that. The, even though the result is something that's forbidden, but it's not something you had intention for, and therefore it's okay if it happens on Shabbos. Or do we say that the Aloha follows Rabbi Yehuda that says when you have Dover Shein Miskabing, we have a result, though it be unintentional, it's still forbidden. Ve'im Timtsaloma Halacha Rabbi Yehuda. Now notice here the Im Timtsaloma is taking a direction of stringency. If you say that we would in fact follow Reb Yehuda concerning this general principle of Dover Shein Miskabinos, or something that uh, results without your intention but nevertheless it would be forbidden that's Reb Yehuda's approach does that mean then that we're going to prohibit the Biorishona because of the uh, Yitziras Pesach that is uh, Eno Miskabin there's still room for possible leniency. And it's dependent on the following analysis. Makalkel hu eitzel ha-pesach, oi mesakein hu eitzel ha-pesach. This formation of the opening, is it described as makalkel? Literally a destructive act. You're, you're ripping away skin. Is that how we describe it? And if we describe it as makalkel, a destructive act... So, that is not prohibited on Shabbos. The Torah prohibits constructive activities on Shabbos, not destructive activities. So, if you say that the Pesach formation is 
a result of Mikalkel, even if you rule like Rebuta in general, Dover Shane and Usser, that's when the Dover Shane and that's when the unintentional result is something that's described as a constructive act, not when the result is something destructive, like the forming of this opening through the ripping away of the skin, or possibly Mesakin Huetzal Pesach. It might be described as something constructive, that he's constructing an opening. And if that be the case, uh, it would be prohibited. Again, if you just follow backwards, why would it be prohibited? Because we would be following Rabbi Huda, who says, Dover Shein Meskavin is Osir. So that is uh, the end of the analysis. We're not telling you at this point what you're allowed to do, but we're leading you. Uh, from ro- the beginning of Roman numeral number one, we're leading you in a certain path to uh, show how one could reach uh, conclusions. And if you were to stick to this particular path and end at that point, so you would end up having <coughs> the uh, issue in your mind that even though we Paskin, we might follow Rebuta, the Dover Shane Muscovin is also, does that mean <coughs> that Biorishona is still prohibited unresolved at this point it, it depends, do you describe it as Mekalkel or Mesakein if you describe it as Mekalkel it would be allowed, if you describe the formation of the uh, opening as Mesakein, it would be prohibited Iko Diamri, a second approach at the first approach, you can see where the dashed underlining appeared above. It introduced the analysis of Dam Mifkat Pokit. Others say, If you describe the blood as absorbed, and its release is through Chabura, through creating an injury, not just releasing a door in front of the blood removing skin, allowing stored up blood to flow out, that would be okay but if you say you're, you're uh, releasing the blood that's absorbed in the tissue matter, that's called chiburi mechbar, does that mean that bio rishon on Shabbos would be definitely oser? no, we have to analyze further Ledam hu is his intention to release the blood, and that would be a problem here because the blood is described according to this path of analysis in a, in a previously absorbed state. Or do we say that the person who's engaging in this act of intimacy is not concerned, he's not thinking about the blood release, he's concerned with his own uh, der- der- uh, deriving of pleasure. And if you say in this particular direction that he's in- interested in his own pleasure and the blood flow happens on its own, that, that's not what he was Focusing on that's not what he was uh, concentrating on or intending. Still, we have to analyze halacha Yehuda or halacha Shimon. Does the halacha follow Reb Yehuda that says Dover sheino miskaven is aser? Something that, though unintentional, 
uh, it still is prohibited. And here, the blood flow was unintentional because we're describing him as Lahanos Atzmo. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's mutter because we might rule like Reb Yudah on these matters and something that was unintentional is still forbidden. Or do we follow Rabbi Shimon that says Dovar She'ein Miskavein is mutter? And if you follow Rebbe Huda, which leads us to think that it will be prohibited. But that is not the end of the story. There's still more to analyze. In the creation of this wound, do we describe this as an act of destruction or an act of construction? If you described it as mekalkel, so that would be reason for leniency. Even though Rebuda is restrictive when it comes to Dover Shane and Miskavain, that's if the Dover Shane Miskavain, if that that's only if that which was unintended is of a constructive nature, not if the result is of a destructive nature. And if you describe this Chabura as Mekalkel, which up till this moment we thought is reason for leniency, does that mean we're going to allow Bio Rishon on Shabbos? We still have more to analyze. With regard to destructive acts in the realm of Chabura, do we follow Reb Yehuda, which uh, we might say ironically is reason for leniency, because up till now we've presented Reb Yehuda as, a, as an opinion representing stringency. But not here. Within the analysis Mekalkel, do we say that regarding Mekalkel, uh, within the uh, context of Chabura, we rule like Reb Yehuda, and then it would be allowed we continue at the top of Davov Amr Aleph, first line, Oy, Halacha Karibi Shimon. Or, do we follow, again, this is ironic, because Rabbi Shimon up till now has been the position of leniency when it comes to Dover Shein Meskavein. However, not with regard to Mekalkel. Mekalkel Bechabura, according to Rabbi Shimon, is something that is forbidden. That even though it's a destructive activity, but with regard to destructive uh, bruising Rabbi Shimon <coughs> holds it is forbidden so as we said earlier we come to this point and we are still left at a crossroads are we, are we going to allow Bio Rishona on Shabbos or not as the Gemara continues you will see uh, different uh, Opinions in how to rule on a practical basis. Though we are in a Dafyomi context, but since we're in the middle of a discussion, it would be more beneficial for us to spill over and we'll Mirzashem be learning down uh, most of this Omid. So on the side of the Gemara, you notice there's a Nosei Mivne heading. We have a house form, and here we feature the explanation of that. Deois, these represent opinions. Bema Shesovrim Rav Shmuel. Opinions as to what Rav and Shmuel hold 
Are we going to allow? Here, where the Gemara is dealing with uh, practical halacha rulings, shall we allow the first act of intimacy with a basula on Shabbos? The Gemara, Bebei Rav Amri, in the Yeshiva of Rav, they say Rav Shori Ushmuel Osar. So in the Rav's Yeshiva, they present. Rav as being the lenient ruling, and Shmuel as being the stringent, restrictive approach. Benardol Amri, Nardol is the name of a city in which Yeshiva, there was a Yeshiva there uh, uh, which was headed by Shmuel. So in Nardol, it was taught Rav Osar Ushmuel Shari. Notice the switch around. Uh, the Nardol version is the opposite of the Bey Rav version. In Nardol, in Shmuel's town, Shmuel is the lenient one. In Rav's yeshiva, Rav is presented as the lenient one. Omer Rav Nachman bar Yitzhak v'simonech, Rav Nachman provides a memory device, a simon, a, a way of, an easy way of remembering the respective versions. Elu mekilin l'atzmon ve'elu mekilin l'atzmon. Each one rules in, a, in such a way that they benefit from leniency. Which means, in Rav's yeshiva, their uh, primary decisor, namely Rav, he's presented as the lenient one. And in Shmuel's community, their halachic uh, decisor is Shmuel. So they present Shmuel as the lenient one. A, A new marking appears, a triangle, which you can see appears in two directions. This is uh, featured on the side as a ma'akav, an attempt to keep track of a give-and-take type style. Biur mahu shitas rav. Here we're going to focus on what is rav's opinion. Ha'gemara makshikushos, the Gemara will, will direct questions. Al de rav yatir We saw, for example, in the yeshiva of rav, they presented rav as being matir, the first act of intimacy with the basula on Shabbos. And we're going to be raising the question, would rav really have said that it's allowed? So, the Gemara. The notice, we have a long question marking. The rav, shori, would rav really have allowed this? Now, we should point out that if Rav is going to be allowing this, that's tantamount to saying that Rav holds something that's unintentional, whether it be the creation of the opening or the blood flow, and it's unintentional. And something that's unintentional is mutter. So, if you're going to say that, that Rav holds Dover Shein Meskav in his mutter, but has it not been taught in the name of Rav, Hai Mesukraya de Nezaisa. Nezaisa are barrels, barrels of wine. Mesukraya are pieces of cloth, uh, rags that are stuffed into the opening of a barrel to keep it sealed shut. These, um, these, uh, let's say, pieces of material, they get absorbed with wine. Let's say, if you were to plug up a, a barrel of wine with this saturated rag, uh, you would be, in effect, causing 
the absorbed wine in the rag to flow out. That's called schita, squeezing out. Schita is a told of dash. It's a uh, a subcategory of one of the prohibited malachas on Shabbos. Uh, for example, uh, squeezing lemons, fresh lemons, uh, uh, on a uh, on a lemon using a lemon squeezer device, or simply squeezing it out to get the juice. That's an isur of schita, squeezing out a. Uh, wringing out a rag that's full of wine in it you, is what we're describing now. Hi, misukraya de nezaisa, the rags that are stuffed into the nezaisa, into the barrel openings. Also, laduka biyomatova. It's also to stuff it into the hole on yomtov. Why? Because there is a molacha of schita, which is forbidden. So, what, what do you see from here? That even though your intention is to stuff the barrel to keep the wine from flowing out, but unintentionally, you're also squeezing out the wine that's absorbed in the rag. That's a Dover Chain of Muscave, and Rav says it's forbidden. So, how can you present Rav as saying, Bio Rishona B'Shabbos is allowed when that involves a Dover Chain of Muscave? There's some resultant act, though you were not focused on it, but it's a forbidden act. So when you have a resultant forbidden act that you were not, you were not uh, focusing on, nevertheless, it seems from here that Rav prohibits. How can you present Rav as you did on the top line saying that Bio Rishon on Shabbos would be allowed? The Gemara responds and says, the case of the Sukhradin Zaisah is a more severe problem. It presents a more severe problem than Bio Rishona B'Shabbos. Behahu, in the case of even Rabbi Shimon, who is the author of the Dover Shein Meskave Mutter approach, even he, the lenient Rabbi Shimon, is restrictive. Why? In the case of Meskave the Nezaisa, is Rabbi Shimon restrictive? And by the way, if Rabbi Shimon is restrictive, Rabbi Yudah is restrictive, of course you're going to have to aser it. Everyone would aser it. So that's why Rav put rules over there. And even Rabbi Shimon is restrictive there. The Abai Varova, the Amri Travayu, both. Abai and Rav explain, Moide Rabbi Shimon Rabbi Shimon concedes that when a forbidden result occurs, and that forbidden result was inevitable, in other words, there is no other way for uh, the act to take place without the forbidden result being present, even Rabbi Shimon agrees Literally, Psik Reshe is an example of someone who wants to provide his child with a toy. And before Fisher Price, you have uh, Gamora Price and Gamora Toys. Amongst the Gamora Toys is a chicken head. And we're not talking about a plastic chicken head either. We're talking about a real, live slash dead chicken. Can you imagine, and well, let's just point out that children actually enjoy playing with chicken heads. The word in this in the Gemara referring to that is reishe. Psik means to cut off. Can you imagine, well, first of all, you should be aware that slaughtering animals or uh, removing life breath from creatures is forbidden on Shabbos. Let's say a person had a 
child who is crying his head off because he doesn't have a toy to play with. And you have this very concerned parent figure who says, oh, if I can only find a toy for my kid to keep him from crying, and lo and behold, he remembers he's got a chicken running around in his yard on Shabbos. He says, I'm going to snap off the chicken's head. Oh, sl- I'll slaughter the chicken. But I'm not interested in, in, uh, in killing the chicken. I'm interested in simply having a toy for my kid to play with. Well, everyone knows that there is no situation uh, in, uh, in reality of of acquiring a chicken head as of course a separate chicken head for your kid to play with without also involving removal of life breath of that creature so that's an example of an inevitable result and this has become known throughout halacha by the term psikreshe some people might not even be familiar with the, uh, with the actual case that we just described in vivid terms, but it's a reference to a, for, an, an act, a forbidden act, who, uh, who, a forbidden result whose achievement is, involves a, an inevitable violation or an inevitable prohibition. So regarding the chicken head, it's inevitable that there will be loss of life, namely the chicken's life, uh, before you can get its head. Things like that, even though your intention was not removal of life breath, your intention was to have a chicken head toy for your kid. Rabbi Shimon concedes that is forbidden. This, by the way, is in contrast to Bia Rishona on Shabbos. Or Bia Rishona, the act of intimacy with a virgin girl, the act of the male penetration, does not inevitably result in, let us say, a blood flow, or in creating an opening. There's something called Hatoya, Hatoya, literally has to do with tilting or a, uh, a, we'll say, a form of penetration where because of the man's positioning of himself when he is conducting the act of intimacy he can actually fulfill the act of intimacy without resulting in a, um, a prohibited result. That's called hatoya. So, therefore, you can have someone like Rav, who will rule that Bia Rishona on Shabbos is mutter, while at the same time holding that Mesukrayi Denezaisa Suladuka Biyamatova. Why? Because Mesukrayi Denezaisa, the act of Schita there is inevitable, whereas the prohibited aspect of Bia Rishona is not something that's inevitable. And why is it not inevitable? Because of what we call hatoya, the way the man positions himself during that initial act of intimacy. So just to read the last phrase of the Gemara again, we said that the case of Mesukrai and Rav's stringency is different because even Rabbi Shimon is made of the psikresha of a low yomus, someone who uh, removes a chicken head and expects the chicken not to die. That's ridiculous. And since the chicken inevitably is going to die, that act is forbidden. As opposed to, as we said, as opposed to the act of Bir Rishon and Shabbos, there the forbidden result is not something that we would describe as inevitable. 
Gemara asks, and here we've dashed underline. This is the key thing for us to recognize that Rav rules like Rabbi Yudah, that a dover shein miskaven, a forbidden result, though you did not have intention for it. Rav rules like Rabbi Yudah, which is the opinion of stringency. We don't have to emphasize Rav Hanan that because we're right now focusing on Rav's opinion. So Rav is presented as being restrictive with regard to Dover Shein Misgaving. So how can he be someone that allows Biyah Rishona on Shabbos? Here we have a, a, a bracketed section. The, uh, if we skip the brackets, you'll notice the Gemara goes to the answer, and the Gemara then deals with how can Rav Paskin like Rebbe Yehuda and at the, on the other hand allow Bio Rishona. In the brackets, there's a, a second version, the only difference being in terms of names. So there's nothing really that should be uh, confusing here other than just p- take note of the difference in the name presentation. So we're reading the bracketed section. Ravchia bar oven masni law below gavri. Ravchia's version introduces Rav and Shmuel without preceding names. In version 1, you can see Ravchia bar Ashi introduced Rav. Here you don't have someone introducing Rav. Simply Rav Omar halochik rebi huda, Ushmuel Omar halochik rebi shimon. But again, we dashed underline the main point that Rav rules like Rebuda, and ruling like Rebuda would be restrictive. You're saying in effect, Dovar Shemus Kavin is Osir, even though you didn't have any intention for the forbidden result. It never, nevertheless, since a forbidden result could take place, we cannot allow. And therefore, how can we present Rav as we did on the first line of the Gemara in the name of the Bay Rav as saying Bio Rishon on Shabbos is Mutter? The Gemara answers, Rav does hold like Rebuta that Dovar She'en Miskaven is Aser. And still, Bior Rishon Abishabbos is Mutter. How do we accomplish that? According to analysis of Roman numeral number one that we saw uh, back on Daf Hay. According to that first track of analysis that said that the blood is Mifkat Pokid and the, uh, the, the only problem would be concerning the formation of an opening, that resultant opening is viewed as Mekalkel. And when you have an act that's Mekalkel, that's destructive in nature, even Rabbi Yehuda concedes that it is allowed. According to the second track of analysis that we saw back on Dafhei, that described the blood as being absorbed into the skin, Mekalkel b'chaburahu. The release of the blood in that case is called mikatos, a destructive act. And Rav holds, like Rabbi Yehuda, that exempts when it comes to mikalkel b'chabura. So that either track you take will allow Rav to, on the one hand, hold Dover Shana Miskaven is also like Rabbi Yehuda, 
and at the same time preserve Rav's ruling that Bio Rishona B'Shabbos is allowed. Either because uh, if you say the Dam is Mifkad Pokid, nevertheless the result in Pesach is Makalkel, or even if you say the Dam is Chiburi Michbar, the resultant Chabura is an act of Mekalkel, that Rav Yehuda, upon whom Rav is based, is in fact lenient. The uh, continuation of the Mora Mirza Hashem will pick up in our next Shior. But uh, the, uh, the point of the upcoming Gemara uh, will be to present sources that, uh, that's mashma, that it's uh, mutter to do Bio Rishon on Shabbos. And this will present a problem then for that other opinion, which ruled that Bio Rishon on Shabbos is forbidden. So, Mitzvah next time we'll provide again a, uh, an introduction. We'll try to pick up from that point.